I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation. It's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, a Fenway home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation. It's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. Make a smile November until opening day. Suffering baseball withdrawn around the clock. When April comes, hey, meet me down on your keyway. That's when Red Sox is just a rock. I'm a member of the Red Sox. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball as well as MLB-wide hot stove. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, as usual, you can find the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and literally everywhere. Anywhere you listen to any type of media, music, podcasts, we are available. Joining me, as always, Jeremy Schilling. Jeremy, how are you? I'm good, Terry. Good, good. So, uh, another another week down before uh, pitchers and catchers anyway. Um, Not a whole lot going on with the Red Sox. Whole hell of a lot going on with the Yankees. Adam Ottavino today signed to a three-year, $27 million deal. So similar to uh, what Joe Kelly got and his average annual salary is basically right on par with the Calvin Herrera, Juris Familias, and uh, add that to the Zach Britton deal. And they're looking pretty good. Uh, I don't the auto the whatever that guy's name is moves the needle zero for me. He's thirty three years old. He's had one good season. Uh, to me, it's a significant overpay for a guy with one good season. Um, doesn't move the needle for me at all for another reason, which is it still does not address their concern or my concern for them, which is their starting rotation. They're dangerously thin. Um, you know they don't have. I think Severino is an elite ace, um, but he went through the second half of last year where he was less than that. Uh, Sabathia, at this point, you you just don't know what you're going to get from him in terms of health and production. Um, So to me, I mean, I guess if I had to be worried about anything, it's that 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 player could have been a fit for the Red Sox uh, at a shorter length of deal and less dollars because that – that that contract to me seems outrageous for a guy with no track record at 33 years old. Yeah, I don't have his numbers up in front of me right now, but he did have a, a pretty solid year last year with Colorado, and you know was a big part of what helped get them into the wild card game, and then ultimately uh, the NLDS. But you kind of touched on it for me right there towards the end. It's not so much what it does for the Yankees; it's it's what it doesn't do for the Red Sox. You know, our bullpen right now is pretty bad. And uh, I got some numbers here. Um, let's see. Ryan Brazier 
in two months last year, you know, August, September. 1.60 ERA, that looks fantastic, but it's a short sample size. Matt Barnes, going uh, month to month here, I have his uh, monthly ERAs in April, 324, not too bad. If he were to be a closer, you would probably want that a little lower. Probably more like his May numbers, which was a 213 ERA, June, 3.09, and July, he would probably the best month of his career, 146 ERA. But keep in mind, we did have a weak schedule that month. I think we only lost four or five games overall. None of those teams were above 500 until the very last series against the Phillies. So those first four months look really good. That 146 ERA in July, suddenly he fell off a massive cliff, a 9.64. ERA in the month of August, and that's with 10 appearances. And then finally in September, nobody was really good out of the bullpen other than maybe Brazier. And uh, Barnes was a 5.06 ERA. Is this a guy you want to mortgage your season on, assuming there's no more signings? I'm sorry, who was the player? (laughs) <laughs> that was Matt Barnes. Oh no. Um I I like Matt Barnes. I don't love Matt Barnes. I don't love him on the road. Uh his road home splits are like hard to believe. Um and I <clears throat> I think his use in the twenty seventeen playoff run is an indication how the Red Sox feel about him where they went with that rover position where basically the next day's starter pitched the eighth inning as like a bullpen instead of, instead of his bullpen. So the Red Sox by their conduct showed that they didn't have any faith in him. Um, so, I mean, I'm, but that's not my concern. And we talked about this, I think two recordings ago where they're so deep in the, in the, starting rotation with major league guys that are out of options that it just, it makes sense that those guys are going to filter into bullpen roles. Um, I'm reading, I read an article. One of the reasons why I missed the end of your comment and I apologize for that. Um, Felger and Maz do a, uh, do a, uh, a bit that's called when the hosts aren't listening. <laughs> and I just got popped on that for, for not listening to the end of your comment. And I apologize for that. But what I was reading or reviewing was that Joe Kelly and Craig Kimbrell combined for 128 innings last season. That's a ton of innings for two guys, guys, you know, and there's certainly some bad innings in there, especially for Joe Kelly. But here's where I think those innings are going to come. One Barnes, uh, Brazier, Hembry, um, and then to some certain extent, Bobby Pointer, Stephen Wright, and Brandon Workman were there. Um, those guys are going to be there. One guy I forgot to mention last week or last recording when we talked about it, Brian Johnson. Uh, I think he, as a left-handed guy and, and a long role, uh, a long relief role, I think he has an ability to eat innings. Um, this article I'm referencing uh, discusses Hector Velasquez, who I love because he's an elite strike thrower, not a strikeout guy. Can't bring him in, you know. Uh, you, you just cannot bring him in with 
you know, man on third, no outs, you know, cause he, he's not going to strike out people with any uh, consistency. Um, somebody I don't know much about Colton Brewer is also mentioned. And then the other person who uh, makes me almost a little bit sick to my stomach is Tyler Thornburg guy sucks. Can't get healthy. Doesn't seem to pitch with, you know, uh, <laughs> He doesn't have that thing that, you know, that's sweat and maybe it's swagger. Maybe it's balls. I don't know. I don't like the, 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 the arm. Um, I don't like that. He can't get healthy. I don't like that. He can't, I mean, he's got, he got absolutely shelled last year. So do I think that's going to be the bullpen by August 1st? No, I don't. I think they're going to have to go out and get better. They're going to be in it and they're going to have to improve for whatever reason. They don't want to do it now. They want to wait. Um, I do think there's a chance that Kimbrell comes back. Um, and if that's the case, then I'm a little less concerned. Uh, but this is easily the, the biggest weakness for the Boston Red Sox entering 2019. It's not even close. The lineup's awesome. The starting rotation's awesome. It's deep. It's got multiple, it's, uh, got multiple Cy Young Award winners in it. you got a guy, Chris Sale, who hasn't won one, who could easily win one. There are some health concerns, but again, they're really deep. So... If you're going to look at this roster and this team and go, okay, if 2019 doesn't work out, why? And I think anyone with a brain is going to look at this and go, well, the bullpen's got uh, just a – it was our weakest point last year, and we overcame it, and it's gotten significantly worse um, since. Uh, So that's where I'm at now with Barnes. I don't expect anything better from Barnes than what we've gotten, which is he'll be the eighth inning guy in the regular season. Um, he'll have a week or two where he stops throwing strikes, uh, and he'll come in with the bases loaded, no out, get two strikeouts and a pop-up and get out of it and go, oh, my God, that, that I mean, he's got that good of stuff. And he'll be everywhere in between, and, and I don't expect anything different from him. You can't rely on him as your closer. Uh, you can't rely on him uh, consistently throughout the year. And that's why I think they're either going to get some power arms, arms, multiple by the trade deadline, or they're going to go get the closer on one of the worst teams that's going to be out of it by July. There's a lot to unpack with. You You were pretty thorough there. Uh, I'm just going to uh, focus on a couple of things here. Uh, Hector Velazquez, I was a little surprised to see his numbers aren't, that great in a couple different areas. He did have a 318 ERA, which looks very serviceable. His whip was astronomical. Uh, walks in hits per inning, uh, 1.44. His strikeout per nine, as you kind of mentioned, he's not really a strikeout guy. Uh, only 5.6. Matt Barnes is uh, 14.0 strikeouts per nine. So, Strikes out almost triple the guys, and then um, to go along with his whip, he gives up uh, 10.3 hits per nine innings. So, not a guy I'd be overly comfortable with, uh, you know, certainly in high leverage situations. And when I look at this bullpen as a whole, you can make the case you don't have an eighth or a ninth inning guy presently, not a bona fide one. You know, when you're looking at teams like the Yankees, they got Chapman, Britton, Batances, 
Ottavino, that's their top four relievers. And our best reliever would be their number five, in my opinion. And I'm just... The, the other problem I'm having here is how do you how do you keep going to this current cast of bullpen guys when Erod can't get out of the fifth inning? Evaldi's not going to get out of the fifth inning a lot of the time against good contact inning teams. He throws a ton of strikes and, and gets hit. And you can see that with Porcello at times. And then I don't want to open up the Chris Sale can of worms here, but... You know, if he's not healthy, he's not going to be going six or seven innings. So I'm pretty gravely concerned with this bullpen. And I, I think a bad bullpen could sink us. All right. Well, with Hector Velasquez, what I like about him is he's a Swiss Army knife and he seems pretty selfless. He was put in some really difficult spots um, where he, he started games – you know, like it seemed like that day they, they made a switch, whether it was um, they had to skip sale a couple of times or whatever the reason. He always jumped in that role. And I'd never heard a negative thing about him as far as his ability to go out there and try to get people out, regardless of what situation he's put in, whether it would be considered fair or not by the the, the fan base. Um I, I mean, I I agree with you. Uh, the Yankees bullpen is significantly better than the Red Sox bullpen. It was last year. Didn't matter. Um, I, again, on Ottavito, I I don't think he, does, he like that move to me doesn't move the needle. It just doesn't. I'm sorry. Now I could be wrong. I could be wrong for one year, two years, all three of years of that deal, and it could turn out to be a good deal. Very well could be. I just for me, right sitting right he, here, a guy with one uh, elite year at. 33 that contract he'll be the last year that deal he'll be pitching at age 36 going from colorado to new york um and i don't think he's going to fail and i don't necessarily think he's going to be a great success i don't know and um his track record personally just doesn't bother me um and then um you know the yankees weakness in their starting rotation their complete and utter lack of depth is a much bigger issue than their bullpen to me um they're gonna hit um they're you know they're gonna slug they're gonna strike out a ton they're gonna win 10 three games at yankee stadium um, I don't I don't care about that because I think at the end of the day, both the Red Sox and the Yankees will be in it in September and it's going to come down to what team is is the most well-rounded um, and what is, by the way, easier to fix. It, you know, I, I, the assets you need to get relievers are less. And I think the Red Sox will address the reliever situation as teams are out of it by June, July and August. So I I, I do strongly believe that at the end of the day. Um, what the bullpen looks like in late March and early April is going to be significantly different, assuming we're in it to win it again in September. I think it's the, the bullpen is the easiest thing to address at the trade deadline. It takes the least amount of resources to get bullpen help as compared to maybe a power bat or a power arm for the starting rotation. Um, on the flip side, assuming that at least the Yankees in the division are the biggest hurdle, they're going to have a harder time filling their 
their issues. Um, so, you know, not to make this like the Yankees are the only thing we have to get across because obviously the Astros are going to be awesome. I think the Indians are still going to be really good. The Rays have had um, – the double Rays have really had a had a – just a really sound off season with a really, in my opinion, uh, smart, sound baseball decisions, signings. Um, so, the, and they won 90 games last year and I think they're better. So um, I'm not saying that it's just Red Sox Yankees, but at the end of the day, most of the time, that's how the paths, the, 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 the path through the division goes. And, I'd still take the way the Red Sox are assembled over the New York Yankees at this point. You're softening on the Rays because you did say the Rays and then corrected yourself to the Devil Rays. I just want to point out. Um, I, I wouldn't call that a, a, a softening. <laughs> okay. I would call that a momentary slip. All right. Um, you know, but no, it's the Devil Rays. Okay. Um, I got Adam Ottavino's numbers up here, and I'm granted I'm not familiar with him very much either. He spent basically his whole career with the Rockies, and uh, you know they haven't been a playoff team up until this past year, and you know, basically a West Coast team. But his numbers are better than you, you might think. Uh, 2013 in 51 appearances, 264 ERA. 2014 in 75 appearances, he had a 3.60. Must have been injured in 2015 because there's only 10 appearances there. He had a he had a 0. 0.00 ERA, so that's kind of weird especially if he was hurt, but whatever. Um, 2016, uh, 34 appearances, uh, 267 ERA. 2017, not a good year at all, 63 appearances, 5.06 ERA. And then last year, um, pretty solid, 2.43 ERA in 75 appearances. So maybe he, he was never really a high leverage guy, you know, throughout most of that. I know going into last year, they added uh, Jake McGee, Brian Shaw, who was a part of that 2016 Cleveland bullpen, and I think they they had one more. Uh, it, it escapes me. But all of them fell flat, and their bullpen was terrible, and Ottavino was the only bright spot throughout the year. So, again, you know, it doesn't – it's not that it improves the Yankees a whole lot because it doesn't. They still do have Chapman, Britton, Batances, and even Chad Green is is a really formidable reliever. He'd be he'd be one of the better Red Sox relievers, you know, with our current bullpen. But it just would have been nice to have a guy like Ottavino to, you know, to slot in there. And I don't know if he would have been a closer. I don't know if he would have been brought in for higher leverage, like Cora had initially hoped to do with Kimbrel. But you know, it just it really sucks. Here's a hold on. You would want you would want Ottavino on at a three year nine million per twenty seven million dollar contract like the Yankees just gave him. Well, I'd probably be more comfortable at two to be honest with you. But I mean, I'd be more comfortable. He just got he just got three, so that's the market. So if you're upset that they didn't get him, it's got to be because they're not willing to go to the neighborhood that the Yankees did. I mean, you know, to me. And again, I just just briefly because I don't want to harp on the same thing. One year, no track record, thirty three years old. Like, I'm sorry if the market was three years, nine million. 
I, I, what I would say is re-sign Joe Kelly, make a play for Britain. To me, Otto Vino is not in that class of player. Well, I, I, I don't like the Kelly comparison in there. You know, he's, I mean, Ottavino is certainly not going to be 2017 Craig Kimbrell. Like, I'll agree with that 100%. But Kelly is just so up and down and just fucking loses it, you know, for weeks or months at a time. And, I mean, other than other than 2017, he's been below. He hasn't posted an ERA higher than 360. So, I just, I got to lean on the numbers there. And at 33 years old, I don't know what his arsenal is. I don't know if he's a, he's probably not a fastball guy. I don't think he's blowing anyone away, you know, at 33. But, but his stuff must play. And, and the Yankees were comfortable enough. The Yankees didn't have to give him a three year deal. You know, they didn't, they didn't need him. Their, their bullpen was fine, especially compared to ours. So, you know, I wish I had the full scouting report on him, but you know, I, I would have at this point. I would have taken him, even if he was only really good for two of those years. You know, it, but to be honest with you, I I put this tweet out earlier, so we'll get into it. I do have one more scenario that I want to get to after before we you know move away from it. Uh, but here here's what. Everyone cost all the real notable guys. Zach Britton, three years, thirty-nine million. Juris Familia, three years, thirty million. We just went through Ottavino, three years, twenty-seven million. David Robertson, two years, twenty-four million. Andrew Miller, two years, twenty-four million. Calvin Herrera, the guy I wanted, kind of covered the last show, two years, eighteen million. This the reason why a lot of those guys are so affordable is because it's a saturated market. If, say, only Britain and uh, Familia were, say, those were the only two notable guys and it was just kind of a, you know, a shallower market for this offseason, those guys would have gotten, those would probably be 50-something million dollar contracts. But because it was such a saturated market, nobody had to go crazy. And that's why it's, you know, January 17th, whatever today's date is, and, and, you know, Adam Ottavino gets signed relatively cheap, you know, and, and Herrera a week or two ago. So th- this was the year, even if we couldn't afford it this year, we're going to be in a different position uh, next season, you know, after next season, well, after this season, I should say, when a bunch of money comes off the books and, and then we at least would have been set. So you know, the bigger picture isn't exactly only 2019. It's, you know, it's a year or two beyond that. And I just can't believe we we just laid there like a dead fish. And <laughs> Well, again, I, I, I have two, two comments and then one just briefly because I've already touched on it. The, the rotation is going to have right Erod Velasquez, Brian Johnson, those guys, only one of those guys, likely Erod, will be in the rotation. The rest of those guys are going to be in the bullpen, and they weren't there last year. So that's number one. Number two, one thing you could do, and I don't know if we've touched on this, um, go sign another starter. Go spend some money on Keuchel. Let Porcello play out the balance of his year. He's a proven guy. Again, you're reloading, trying to win another World Series. So get Keiko, have Porcello be your fifth starter, 
And then that puts Erod into the bullpen where, you know, he can unload a little better with his fastball, knowing he only has to throw 15 or 25 pitches. He's a lefty. Um, he showed in the playoffs some willingness to pitch in different roles, and I don't know if that's going to extend to the regular season, but I think it would. I mean, that's another option. Now, with that said, and I'm just going to get ahead of your commentary where you're just like itching to get at me with, with what I've said here. Well, Jeremy, those one aren't proven bullpen guys, and Terry, I agree with you. Um, but they are proven major league arms, and I think the odds of more than one of them being a serviceable reliever until such point as we can go out and get someone in the in the trade market I think that possibility is a pretty good I think it's a it's, I think it's an option that gets you 15 games 10 15 games over 500 on July 15 because you're just so good everywhere else you, you sort of you know with the, your Erod thing kind of kind of, uh, you know, kind of branched off from where I was about to go. Um, let me say with Keiko, I, I was a big proponent of that because you could either trade Porcello or you're essentially replacing him after this year with his contract. And I haven't heard his name in days or weeks, like which is crazy because he was one of the top starters anyway. But anyway, with that aside, here's a scenario. What if what if Avaldi goes to the bullpen? I mean, he's getting elite closer money. That's what his contract really breaks down as. You know, he's getting seventeen million a year for four years. And I'm just I just don't know if given the state of our bullpen that maybe that's where his value is and then Maybe Velazquez becomes your your five starter or Brian Johnson. And to tell you the truth, I would almost prefer Johnson because I don't think his stuff plays very well for a, you know a bullpen type role. Even if he comes in with a clean inning, Wright is funky, but for whatever reason, I trust him more. And I just I know that he can handle the moment. I don't know that with Brian Johnson, so. He might be a good starter. Here's another thing to build on to that, and, th- and then you can comment. What if what if instead of having a five-starter, we just tinker with the opener idea? And then and then you bring in like a you know a, a Johnson or a Velasquez. I don't know. Maybe Hembry would be a good candidate to to pitch an inning or two. Um, off the top of my head, I can't really or maybe workman actually would be a good uh, candidate for that but those are just some other ideas and and if you can have an Evaldi type guy in the pen you know i don't know maybe maybe it's worth it to have him available for three or four days a week as opposed to one start for four or five and if we're really lucky six innings all right so on Evaldi. um the, the podcast we did after he signed, I, I made the point. My initial thought when I saw the news come across was, well, that's a closer's contract. That That's closer's money. I mean, that's what Chapman's making. That's, I mean, the elite guys from two or three years ago when that closer market went crazy. That I mean, it was in line. Now, that could be by some coincidence. I mean, we've talked about the reasons why Evaldi 
was a little bit his contract was a little bit more favorable you know, health issues to Tommy Johns his market really exploded as a result of the playoff run meanwhile he still had his struggles in the regular season but but I did say that at the time I said man that's oddly looks like a closer's um, contract now I don't disagree with you I think they'll start the season with him as a starter because it's just easier to have a guy stretched out and then shorten him to a, a single inning appearances uh, versus have him start as a single inning guy and then you know you and in fact you probably couldn't even normally you wouldn't do it at the major league level normally you'd send him down to the minors for a month to extend out to 75 90 pitches so it's just easier to shrink the pinch count than grow it especially in the middle of the season and for that reason i do think of all he's going to start as a as a starting pitcher the the contract the skill set it wouldn't surprise me if we get to may 1st and we're losing we're hemorrhaging games because our bullpen sucks would it surprise me in the least bit that Avaldi would be willing to go and be and and fix that problem absolutely not he showed it in the playoffs by by everything he said even after he signed the contract he seems to be uh, a modern day professional athlete without the modern day ego it's one of the reasons why i really really root for him to succeed and i really like him uh, Brian Johnson, I agree with you that Brian Johnson scares me. Um, he's a little bit like Vasquez. So Brian Johnson's a lefty. Vasquez is a righty. Vasquez is a sinker ball, ground ball guy. Um, Vasquez can be a really good strike thrower. Uh, Brian Johnson lives about 87 to 89 when he's really loose on a warm day. He, he relies so heavily on location. And one thing with watching Brian Johnson pitch, you know right away if he doesn't have it because his location is not, not, not pinpoint. If he's missing in the middle of the plate, it, oh, duck because it's going to be batting practice. And he, and he battles and he fights, and I do think he's a competitor. But he doesn't have, again, you're just putting another guy in the bullpen that can't come in with a guy on third because he can't get a strikeout. So I don't disagree with you on Brian Johnson. But there are eight starting pitchers, and I and I like the idea of adding someone like Keuchel because one, you don't have to pay him elite starter money. I really don't. I think the Porcello contract from three years ago is a good um, barometer of what I think you could get Keuchel for. I am totally baffled at this point um, why he's not signed. I predicted at that when we did the prediction show right after the World Series, I did say that Keuchel seemed to be a fit for me in New York. There's been no news linking Keuchel to the Yankees. Again, they're signing guys like Adovino, which may or may not be a good signing, and they pursued Machado at least for a period of time. Meanwhile, Keuchel's sitting out there, seems to be a fit, seems to be the type of personality that could pitch in a big market like New York, yet it seems like, for whatever reason, there's just no interest. And I... And there, I I don't understand that. I just don't. But I wouldn't mind that benefiting the Red Sox if maybe they could get him at a contract similar to Evaldi's. Um, and then you have, I mean, you're already deep. Now you're deeper. You push Porcello to the fifth spot. Keuchel's a proven guy. He's won a Cy Young. And then when and then you you have zero risk of. Uh, having assigned Porcello next year to keep things intact. You could let Porcello walk. You know you're going to get him at his best this year because he's in a contract year. 
So he's going to pitch. He's going to pitch. He's going to want to win. He's going to want to be productive. And then you have Keuchel there ready-made for the next three years after Porcello's gone. To me, it makes some sense, especially if you can save some money because the market seems to be shrinking. I would love that deal. You know, I've always liked him. And, I mean, he pitched a one-game wild card in New York in 2015, won that game. That was a Cy Young year. Season guy, I don't think his numbers are terrible at Boston in Boston, and that's an argument that you know the detractors of of bringing him here will will quickly point out. But it's a small sample size, and I think he can handle it. And I, you know, I'd love to see it, but unfortunately, I, I don't think I don't think he's you know going to be you know landing with us or or even the Yankees. And I think. Aside from maybe some durability issues, I think Paxton and Keiko is kind of a push. I think Paxton basically pitches to Keiko's level, but I would probably trust Keiko's durability a little bit more. But, you know, they went that way. I think the Yankees fucked up by by getting Paxton when they probably could have just waited a little while and maybe got Kluber, you know, by just adding one more top 10 prospect to that package and that would have been scary <laughs> that that would have been an instant game changer i would think well as we sit here right now i still think the red Sox are the better team do they have basically the same weakness they had last year yes um at the end of the day are they still going to be the favorites or co-favorites along with probably the Astros. Yeah. And by the way, the Astros haven't, and you're probably already getting ready to respond to this. I don't remember off the top of my head that the Astros have gotten significantly better. They signed, um, who, who's the guy they signed? I think from Cleveland, they, they, they signed a bat. I like that deal. I'm of course not remembering the details right the second, but that was that seemed like a smart move to me, but they haven't gotten any better. They haven't addressed the fact that they haven't. Charlie Morton is like 36. Verlander's like 37. Keuchel's not under control. He's an unrestricted free agent. They've got some issues in Houston, um, and so I still like the Red Sox where they are. I really wish that they could get either Kimbrel or if they have to make a trade using a guy like Porcello or somebody to bring back an arm for the bullpen to round out the roster, I would make that would make me feel a lot better. The other thing I want to mention just quickly, and then I'll let you change topics, Terry. Dombrowski sucks at building a bullpen. I mean, he sucks. He missed on, um, and I've already mentioned this guy, um, although I'm going to space it right this second, because, of, of course... Uh, Thornburg, he spaced it on Thornburg, who's the guy who threw out his arm, who blew out his AC joint, throwing his glove after getting pulled from a from a. I mean, they they spent assets on that guy. He sucks. He he couldn't pitch. He couldn't stay healthy, and then he ultimately blows out his arm, throwing his glove like a crybaby. Carson I mean, they, Smith. They had, Carson Smith. Yeah. Thank you for that, Terry. I, he has not really made sound player player personnel decisions with the bullpen. And so 
I have some concerns just moving forward generally as Dombrowski is the president of baseball operations with his ability to build a bullpen. Now, if he goes and trades an asset, uh, let's say he takes somebody like uh, Wright, and there's really no spot for Wright. He's a tweener. You can never trust a knuckleballer, but there's someone out there that values him and say, look, I'll give you a prospect and a reliever. Do you trust that Dombrowski is going to pick the right reliever and get a guy that's going to come in here and actually be a positive effect player on this roster? Not really. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I don't. I think anybody that watches this team that understands what Dombrowski is, his strengths and his weaknesses can understand that he really is just, for whatever reason, um, you know, it's like Belichick's inability to draft receivers in the second round. Like every time he drafts a receiver, they're just like an automatic bust. Dombrowski has like a brain fart with the bullpen. He just can't figure it out. And I don't understand why that is. I also don't understand why the Red Sox organizationally can't get someone that can help him with that talent evaluation because it, it's got to get better for the long-term health of and the, and the continued competitive seasons from the Boston Red Sox. Well, just think back. I mean, when was there a season where we were this thin? I don't remember. I mean, there's there might be seasons where we've wanted to add one arm, but I I just don't recall the us. closer the closer by committee season um was really bad. And that that was a goddamn nightmare. Um and that's what this is shaping up to be. Now, maybe they project guy like I'm sorry, but if I hear Dombrowski tell me that Barnes is going to be the closer, like I'll be looking for a tall building. Well, that's what okay? he said. And and, and and a breezy day. Brazier closed in AAA. Brazier, to me, has the sort of sensibility um, and the personality and, by the way, the ability to throw strikes that, I, that, that attract me to him as far as maybe – just may and he's not going to be an elite guy, but maybe he can get you through certain points of the season until a point where you actually have to address it. I hearken back to his first playoff appearance. He sucked. He really, really sucked. He he couldn't throw strikes. Nerves clearly got the best of him. We did a podcast that night. I said basically, what the fuck? This guy just shit his pants and he's done. We can't rely on him. Well, guess what? They they rolled him out there the next day, and I think he got three outs on like eight pitches. Yeah, and then he was re- he was really good throughout the run, and he was really good in the regular season. I, again, no track record. Pitched in Japan two years ago. You know, was a closer at AAA. How much does that matter in the big league club? So I, I don't rule out Brazier as a plus player in that bullpen. But again, no track record, and this is a team that has World Series aspirations. And you're you're rolling out a guy who was in Japan two years ago in a key spot in the road to in the bullpen. It just doesn't doesn't make too much sense to me. Yeah, and I mean if he's if he's duplicating what he did last year, and you know we're in mid June and we're comfortable with him, then fine. But it's just sitting here right now in January. It, it's it's a huge risk, and I like him. And and that. In that second Yankee start where he settled down and pitched well, I think that was also the the appearance where he told Gary Sanchez to get in the fucking box. <laughs> and so, you know, he kind of endeared himself a little bit to the to the fan base even more with that. But, um, 
It just makes me nervous. But let's uh, let's get to the next uh, topic here, um, and it kind of kind of ties in Nothing with before. Before you do that, I I just happen to go to Keiko's Twitter account. Some somebody tweeted um, right after Otto Vino signed today, so three forty-five today. Somebody tweeted, "Yankees now need to sign Keiko." His Twitter handle. He has a three point six six career ERA. He's won a World Series and won a Cy Young. And this to me is very very interesting. Keiko retweets it and says, "That doesn't mean anything anymore." Dot dot dot. Apparently, he's getting frustrated. You know, by he's getting frustrated. There by the lack of market and I like it I love it feed feed me your tears Keiko and take a good deal with the Red Sox please please Red Sox jump into the fray here please I'm begging you like I said I'd love to see it if if we don't get them and and I mean I think there's a 98 percent chance we won't uh, I I hope he ends up being a brewer and takes like a grand all type contract and just kind of Latches on with them to see if they can go for it because the the NL Central is wide open right now. It's hard. I mean the the Cubs. I mean you. Ha- I guess you have to make them the front runner, but the the Cardinals aren't too far behind, and I don't think the Brewers are too far behind. And I I don't know. I like that team, but anyway, um, getting uh, kind of shifting a little bit. I went through the the bullpen arms that have signed this year, and I think we can agree that literally all of them are affordable. Um, Zach Britton, three years, $39 million. That's the biggest contract so far of this offseason. And then you had Herrera, you know, the cheapest of them all, two years, $18 million. So they were all affordable contracts. Now, let's kind of let's look at the fiscal part of it now. If we can't afford them presently, how are we going to do it with a potentially 10-year, $350 million contract for Mookie Betts? Because everybody thinks it's a foregone conclusion. We're definitely going to sign him. But this is the problem we're going to have. We're going to sign him, and then we're going to have a team you know, full of holes. and Because we're not addressing them now while Mookie's – a $20 million player. Yeah. Um, I think part of the inability to pay for the relievers um, or, or the, the decision not to pay, because you're the Red Sox, you have the ability. The decision not to pay for the relievers is not tied into Buki. It's tied into Bogarts, Bradley, Sale, um, you know, Benintendi, who we talked about on the last podcast as being a candidate for an early extension. I, I, to me, I don't think the Red Sox have any hope of signing bets. I have zero hope. Like I put it at less than a 5% chance. And I, there are two reasons why I think he ends up being a Red Sox past the next two seasons. Number one, and I don't root for this. I never root for injuries unless your name is LeBron James, uh, Peyton Manning or Manny Machado. I just I don't root for player injuries. Um, there may be a few others out there, but you get my point. Um, if Betts has a downturn in production because of injury, where his value drops, that's one way you could sign him. The oh, so injury or production drop, which let, let, let's be honest with ourselves here, <laughs> this guy hurt his oblique. That that 
is an injury that can derail people's seasons. He won an MVP in a season. He had an oblique injury and went on the DL. So just, uh, just, I mean, he's so fucking athletic that he recovers from injuries. Like uh, he's, and I can't say enough positive things about Mookie Betts. Um, the other reason would be that he somehow feels a connection with the Red Sox and takes a discount. If he was inclined to, to do the discount route, he would have had more substantive discussions last year when they approached him about an early extension. They he basically responded with, uh, "Yeah, no, um, <laughs> I'm going to go maximize my arbitration years and then go to unrestricted free agency and get a massive deal." So uh, he's already kind of shown that that second option is not available. I don't want him to have a downturn because I w- would much rather win another World Series, get another MVP year out of him or two, and then let him go make his money. And honestly, at that point, I won't be upset about losing Mookie Betts because he's been an absolute star for this for this market. He's he's given me uh, and and the Boston Red Sox fan base um, the ability to watch one of the best, most uh, uh, you know, one of the better generational talents. Uh, we may ever even see again. Um, again, he's a he's an NBA point guard, athletically playing right field. Um, so I love him. I love the player. I don't see a downturn in production. I don't see injuries, and I don't see uh, a um, a hometown discount. So sit down, fans. Okay, <laughs> Mookie Betts is not going to be a Boston Red Sox in twenty twenty one. Less than five percent chance. I mean, something would have to go haywire. The Red Sox, and, and here's the other thing. I don't want Mookie Betts at $30 million a year because you absolutely eviscerate your opportunity to balance out your roster by signing one guy for that amount of money. I'm with you 100%. I um, I don't like the present situation. and Wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. You're with me 100%? I guess. I, all right, I'm changing my mind. <laughs> okay. So, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It just those types of contracts just really weight down a team, and I'm okay with doing it in the rotation. Like I hate David Price, but as much as I hate him, that contract's starting to work out very well, and we probably don't win the World Series without him. And I'd much rather take another thirty million. And I'm not sure if if Bumgarner's the guy. I mean, I certainly wouldn't complain. But you know, I would I would sign another thirty-ish year old player with a record of durability, and you know, and and, and spend it that way than do it with a bat. You know, it, it's impossible to replace Mookie Betts, you know, with one player. But you might be able to do it with a couple of players, you know, and balance it out. Look at the 2013 team. Not one player on that team, and that wasn't that long ago, not one player on that team made more than, I think it was like $17.5 John Lackey was the highest paid player on that roster that year. And that might be hard to duplicate again, but that's just one example of a team that was incredibly balanced all the way around. Decent bullpen, decent rotation, and we were still the number one offense in the league that year. So, you know, when you see teams just passing on Bryce Harper, passing on Manny Machado, you know, their market is down to just two or three teams apiece. And, 
the Phillies are in on both of them. So, you know, it's probably three or four teams total, you know, involved with those guys. And everybody else is passing on it. And a lot of good teams. You know, the Astros, like you kind of pointed out in the last segment, they, they're they not in on so many guys. And, and you know, they're fine with it. You know, they're, so many teams are just content to let it ride, and I get it. I think teams are getting smarter. Another interesting thing here is, and I haven't read too much into it, so I, I can't really go too deep into it on this episode, but I, I would like to before the season starts. Uh, the collective bargaining agreement ends uh, at the end of the 2021 season, and there's a lot of frustration right now with the union on how the free agent market is going, and there there's rumblings of a strike, possibly. And the interesting thing about the timing of that is Mookie Betts is a free agent the year before, so... That could be fortunate for the Red Sox if you're clinging to the small hope that there is going to be a discount or maybe just a shorter-term deal with higher annual value. I mean, I'd, I'd give Mookie five years at a you know at thirty-five to forty million. I just wouldn't want to you know once you get past seven, it, you know, it, it, there's a ton of risk. But um, so I'm just wondering how that offseason will go, and he's going to be up against. Mike Trout, so they're going to be the big two for that uh, offseason. And then if that doesn't well, go Trout, well, I'm sorry? Go ahead. Well, I was just going to Trout's say, if, if that doesn't go well, that could be the final straw that kind of pushes the league into a strike. Trout's going to Philadelphia. Um, Mookie, if he's never going to take a five-year deal. Okay, he's not. Right. He's why? Why would he? He's he's trans, he's transcendental. I mean, that and I might have just made up a word there, taken two parts of a word and combined them into a non-word. Um, but he's a generational talent, and 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 by generation, I, generational, I mean like na- name someone more athletic, more capable in all phases of a position player's game than, than, than Mookie Betts. I mean, he's as good as Mike Trout in almost every category and then stack on like another 30% more athleticism. It's crazy. And if he, if he stays a Red Sox beyond his final arbitration year, which is 2020, it's because of that, that potential strike or the, the potential collective bargaining issues and I'm going to tell you what he'll do. He'll go say, look, you want me? It's one year, $50 million. And he'll keep that flexibility, and he'll then let the collective bargaining issue play itself out. And then, Because he's already gambled on himself. He's already won. He's shown that he's willing to go into a season on one-year deals and risk it all. So the guy is, like, fearless. And so it, I, I envision that scenario where – He's never going to take a five-year deal. He'll take the one year and he'll ask for some crazy amount of money and he'll get it. And especially if the Red Sox are competitive and they and they see Mookie Betts as a piece towards potentially another World Series, they'll probably pay it. And the the collective bargaining issue will play itself out, and he's going to get a ten-year deal for three hundred and fifty million dollars. And I don't want him at that amount of money. I don't. I don't want anybody. At that amount of money. Now, I want Mookie Betts. So everyone, oh my God, how could you not want Mookie Betts? No, that's not what I'm saying. I want Mookie Betts. But it's like 
I want an 80 inch OLED TV, but I don't want to pay 10 grand for it. You know, I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah. I, you yeah. know, so, I mean, it, it's like, yeah. So I'm going to buy the 65 inch Sony. That's $2,500 because you know, it's, it's, it fills a need and I can keep the money in my pocket to grocery shop or whatever else thing I need to do. And I know it's a really cheap, lazy analogy, but I'm trying to make my point where you've got other things you've got to worry about. You've got to continue to your Boston. You're the Boston Red Sox. I mean, you like the Bruins are in it. The Celtics are in it. The Patriots are the Patriots. And don't think that these teams don't go, we can't be the team that struggles. We can't in this, in this climate, in this city, we can't be that team. The interest will fall off. There's too many other winners around us right now. We have to be competitive. And if that, and if you understand that, and the Red Sox do, there's no question that they do. They have to understand that they need to have well-rounded, balanced rosters to be competitive year in and year out to keep the support of the baseball community in Boston or the sports community in Boston. And so for that reason, look, Mookie's gone, guys. He's gone. I don't need, it's not even to me if if I wasn't on this podcast, I wouldn't even carry on the conversation. He's he's history. And I'll tell you right now, like like Brady here at the end of the year, you know, it's kind of limited and you may only see him for two. I'm going to enjoy every single at bat I can see Mookie Betts play baseball in a Boston uniform because it's over in 2 years. <laughs> I was just kind of going through some of the signings of the past few years, and when you say Mookie isn't going to take like a five-year deal at high annual value, I agree. I think there's a low percentage chance that that would happen, but if you go back a couple years ago, we we didn't really think we would be in this situation. We thought last year's market was weird, you know, and this year's uh, hot stove season is even weirder and there's a lot more talent. So I just, you know, to try to forecast two years from now, it's, it's, you know, who who knows what twists and turns things are going to take. Here's just the last few years, though, some notable free agents. Now there hasn't been a, a Harper, a Mookie, a Machado type guy. But it hasn't worked well for the the few big signings there were. Jason Hayward, uh, eight years, one hundred and eighty five million roughly. Yoenis Cespedes, five years, one hundred and twenty five million. And there was a year before that he opted out, so it, it essentially became like a six year, one hundred and fifty million dollar deal. But that's that's not working out well. Edwin Encarnacion. Yep. Three years, sixty million, so twenty per. Um, that's not working out terribly, but you know it, it hasn't served as a game changer for for Cleveland, and they can't seem to. They did, I guess they did trade him, didn't they? Isn't he in Seattle or no? Yeah, he he was traded to the Seattle uh, in a deal, I think, back in November. Okay, yeah, and that, there's been a lot of weird deals because they did some flipping and somehow. Santana went there from Philly, but then went back to Cleveland. And so, like, that's just an example of probably a contract that was probably more than, at least by 2018 standards, that's probably an overpay, I would say. So, we're, we're seeing some of the bigger contracts not work out, and then the market shrinking. So, I'm just trying to, just trying to illustrate the, the weirdness that's that's been happening 
Uh, here's another scenario, and I'll just a disclaimer as we go into it. I, I think this is a long shot, but I, I think it should be um, talked about at least briefly. Could maybe Mookie, maybe, but especially JD Martinez, be looking at the the market right now and think, you know, maybe maybe I will, <laughs> maybe I will talk with the Red Sox about an extension here because. For Martinez, especially, he's going to be 32 years old. So, what's what's the value for a 32 year old guy? I mean, Encarnacion rakes. You know, he's been a 3100 guy for most of the past decade, and I just I don't know. I mean, if if three years, 60 million is a lot for him. What's JD really going to be worth? If if he doesn't try to cash in right now before he really screws himself, because we saw Yasmani Grandal, he screwed himself. He he declined a four year sixty million dollar deal, and now he's got a one year eighteen million dollar deal. And uh, Jake Arrieta screwed himself last year. He had a four year hundred and ten million dollar offer from the Cubs. That's roughly twenty seven million a year. He only ended up getting. Three years, seventy-five million from the Phillies. So we're seeing guys screw themselves, and I'm just wondering if if the market might kind of make make at least Martinez willing to talk. Yeah, um, it means way more to Martinez because Mookie is better than Manny Machado. And he's better than Bryce Harper, and he's more marketable than both of them combined. So, like, Mookie Betts is, uh, you know, recession-proof. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, you, when you talk about, like, professions that are potentially recession-proof, like Mookie Betts is recession-proof. He, he, he's, he's above everybody. He might be, the, he might be above everybody. If there's anyone in that class, it's Trout, and we already know he's going to Philadelphia. JD's the guy that's watching this going, oh, fuck me. You know, I I don't – and here's what I think is going to happen because I've heard Dombrowski talk on this topic, and I feel really strongly that the Red Sox would be willing to do this. They'll they'll say, look, we're going to keep the term in place. We're going to add, let's say, two and a half to $5 million per year on the deal. And that is going to be us purchasing away your right to opt out. That's what I think is going to happen. And I think if JD does that, I, th- I think he'd take it because for, for a couple reasons. One, he's going to make an, a higher AAV. And um, he he want, I, he likes Boston. Uh, he's won a World Series here. And he leverages the fact that he was able to, to negotiate the opt-outs into more money, which is what he wants anyways. I don't think he wants to opt out. I think he wants more money from the Red Sox. And that's the perfect situation where, you know, that opt out, you look, pay me, pay me $4 million for the two opt outs. Add, add another 4 million on the last year of the deal. My AAV gets closer to, what is it? 25 million. And, you know, uh, and, and you don't have to worry about me leaving. Like if I'm the Red Sox, I do it right away. If I'm JD, I may not have done it before this off season, but now I'm watching Manny Machado, who's a better all-around player because uh, he's he's a good defensive player, and then Bryce Harper, who's definitely 
who's definitely a better all-around player and definitely more marketable. And he's watching what's happening to them. And he's got to be looking at himself going, I'm a, I'm a one-side player. I'm, I'm an offensive player that can't run. And I'm good, and I'm a slugger, and I'm a middle-of-the-back guy, but the, I'm not getting, if these guys aren't getting anywhere near what they want, I'm even less than that. The Red Sox are already paying me, and I like this city. Let's, let's pay for those opt-out years, and let's stay in Boston. That's, that's what I think. I, that's what I hope is going to happen. And if you know, I, I think that's what's going to happen. I hope that's what's going to happen. Uh, I'm with you on that one. Um, you know, and I got the same level uh, level of uh, skepticism as to whether he'll do it because his agent is Scott Boris, and he, you know, Boris, you know, he he'll he, well, he can talk his clients into jumping off a bridge. They probably do it. Let's just quickly though go through his contract real quick. Um, made twenty, basically twenty four million last year, just to make the math easy. Makes that again this coming year, and then can opt out after it, which I'm assuming he would if an extension isn't worked out. He makes the same for twenty twenty, but he would be a year older. You know, if he waited for the second opt out year, he would be basically. 33 at the start of the 2021 season and then and then actually for 2021 he's only making 19 million and then 19 the year after which with this current market starting to sound pretty good because <laughs> i you know like i said i don't think edwin if edwin encarnacion at 34 years old was a free agent this year I don't think he gets that. So maybe he does. Maybe he does come to the table and and says, you know, five years. Would you go? Would you go five years, thirty million with no opt outs? You said twenty five, but would you know? Would thirty million a year break the bank? Um. So that would turn after this year. It would turn it into a four-year, hundred and twenty million dollar deal, right? I'm sorry, three-year, ninety million dollar deal. Whereas right now it's sixty-five million. That's a good question, Terrence. Actually, it's um, uh, it's a little higher. Let's see, forty-six plus forty. So he'd have. Uh, 76 million he currently he has roughly 76 million on the books well i'm talking about he has to play 2019 he doesn't have an opt-out he's a red Sox, so it goes to the last three years of the deal 2020 at 23 what's called 24 mil and then he's got 2021 and 2022 and let's call it 20 mil so it's a three after this year he has an opt-out then he has an opt-out after each of the remaining two years so what are you willing to pay to get to that point where you know you're going to have the player? Because the current deal isn't going to do it. I mean, right? We can agree on that. Right. So let's call it $40, $64 million, three-year $64 million. Would I do a three-year $90 million deal? I'll tell you what. If he goes through 2019 and he did what he did last year, yes, I would. Yep, 100%. Because get, remember, after next year, so the last two years of the deal – there's going to be no Mookie Betts in the middle of the lineup. So J.D. is going to be the lead dog. 
And you got to have them because if you have no Mookie Betts and you have no J.D. Drew, you better hope Devers turns into a, a plus offensive player. You better hope Benintendi turns into a three-hitter, which I think Benintendi will eventually be that good. But, I mean, you already have the guy. And if it's just going to take an additional, let's say, five to five to ten million per year, keep them there, and then you then you can feel a little bit better about the fact that there's just no fucking way you're going to pay for Mookie Betts. Okay, so just to be clear, it doesn't sound like you want to go beyond the current deal, other than to give him raises for the existing years within the deal. So you wouldn't you well, wouldn't extend just, him. Yeah, can I just hit on that quickly? Sure. All right. I like J.D. Martinez. I like his demeanor. I like his personality. I, I love his swing. I love the way he leads. I love a lot about J.D. Martinez. There's some things I don't like, though. He cannot play defense, and he doesn't want to be a full-time D.H., which is a problem because he sucks at defense. The other problem I have is he's really unathletic. Um, and I have concerns, despite the fact that he clearly takes really good care of himself, I have some concerns with his ability to keep his body in peak physical condition and be a 30-10 guy at age 35. And so for that reason, I'd much rather go to a $30 million annual average value than add years on the end of the deal. I just I, The problem that I'm having is I don't know that I think he would want a longer-term deal. I think that's what it would take to get him to sign early and not test free agency. You know, the, I'd like him to sign while he's with us, while we have all the leverage. And with the athleticism, I totally get that. But I think if he were to get a serious raise like we're talking about, I don't think he cares really that he would be a full-time DH. He's getting paid. He likes playing in Boston. He likes his current core teammates, and I mean, I I would be fine with him as a DH making that kind of money. I, I don't have a problem with him being a DH either, but he made it very clear he doesn't want to be a DH. And there's also some, I heard some rumblings, and you're probably going to jump all over me if I'm wrong here, so I'm anticipating that, that there may even be some type of deal um as part of his contract where he's promised defensive innings. Now, I, I, I don't know that, so I'll just leave it at that. I but don't think there, let, there is. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me say one thing. If he is hell-bent on av- at adding term to his contract, I would go to a year 35. His, his, I'm sorry, I would go to his, his age 35 season. And I wouldn't even care if he's still productive at 35 if that means we get him productive for the next three seasons. Um, it's it's what you have to do with these guys. You have to pay for years where you know they're not going to still be elite. It, it is what it is. That's what you have to do to get them. Um, the teams that are looking at Harper and Machado are conducting the same analysis. Um, I would add a year if it means you get to keep the player and you get out of this opt-out situation because the opt-out situation scares the shit out of me because I already told you Mookie's not coming back. All right. Let me just, you know, one last time with the DH thing. The reason why he wants to play defense is because when the day he signed his name to that contract, his mind was already made up that he's opting out in two years and he wants to play defense to 
keep his value high. And now if he's going to be considering an extension while he's already under team control, he's gravely concerned about the market. And I just don't, once he has his money, I just don't think he's going to care what what he does as long as he's in the lineup every day. And with, um, you know, so with the years left, I'm just, I'm just, I'll do whatever it takes. I don't want to take him beyond his age 36 season. You know, that would be two years on top of the current deal, but I would still do that over a 10-year deal for Mookie Betts. I'm a value guy, and shorter term, shorter money, you know, for a guy who can rake. And and actually, in, I don't have his postseason numbers up here, but I know he did a little bit of damage in the Yankees series, uh, J.D. did, and you know, and throughout the playoffs, and, and Mookie's a career two twenty six guy in the month of October. So I just the the Mookie huggers will never agree with us, and and you know that's a battle we'll never win with that crowd. But but J.D. to me is well, the better value. Um. Well, yeah, because Mookie, look, and after the collective bargaining situation is taken care of i mean is it impossible to say that in four years mookie's not worth 40 million dollars a year i mean it's not it's not impossible and and you may disagree with that and that's fine um so you're looking at a a situation where you know jd may be worth half of mookie bets i have no interest not zero interest in seeing jd martinez signed beyond 2023 his age 35 season i just the Red Sox have to be more careful about contracts for players that aren't productive. We 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 just cleared Hanley. We were, I think we have one more season of Panda. I mean, we we were we we've had a history of playing for players that just ha- aren't even Red Sox anymore. Sometimes they're not even in baseball anymore. Um, I just I'm I'm cognizant and I, and I so I take the analysis out of. Who would I? Who's the better value between JD and Mookie? Look, JD's a good player. Mookie's a great player, maybe the best player. I, I don't need to see JD Martinez in a Red Sox uniform in his age thirty-six season unless it's a new deal because he hit twenty-three bombs and ninety RBIs when he was thirty-four years old. At which case, if he wants to re-sign, like then we have, we know that he's taking care of his body, that he's still productive. And you can pay him at that point. You can do give him a two-year, thirty million dollar deal or two-year, forty million dollar deal. I have no problem with that. But let's not get crazy and let's use what's happening with Machado and Keuchel and all these guys to our advantage. And let's be a little bit more fiscally responsible. Because again, I hearken back to the fact that we have a whole bunch of guys we got to sign. Benintendi has to get. He's going to get signed. He's got to get signed. I mean, we can't just let everyone go. Like, and let's assume J, uh, JBJ leaves. You know, maybe that gives you a chance at Bogarts. You still got to sign some pitching because Sale is um, unrestricted after this year. So is Porcello. Um, you know, it's th- we have some concerns about are we going to be competitive in two years if we don't find a way to keep some of these guys around. So, um, I also think JD wants more money 
it doesn't doesn't he does not want to opt out in my opinion but he's gonna be he's a smart enough guy um and i think he's you know got decent represent representation where they're gonna go out and parlay that into some more money yeah i just i don't think it's gonna i just don't think it would happen with with that shorter years i i think he would just going to free agency would be worth a gamble to him even even if he only takes a one-year deal at high annual value just say there's no real multi-year you know market for him and why would he do that he already has a real deal with the red sox he's not going to opt out and sign a one-year deal if he's going to opt out well, he he's d- got to be thinking he's going to get a four-year, hundred million dollar deal. He but, has, that's where his mind has to be. Right, but once he opts out, he doesn't control the market. He has to opt out before he goes to free agency. So it's not up to him if he signs a four-year deal. Once he opts out, he rolled the dice, and however it turns out after that's on on him and Scott Boris. So he, if he's going to opt out at all, it has to be this year. It has to be while he's. 32 years old as opposed to 33 or 34 however well, long he wants to take this deal i agree with that and i and there's another thing that we've kind of discussed but haven't said like directly his value is only in the american league true um yeah. i mean he's he has no value to a national league team after maybe then and look he did play some defense this year can i just say he sucks at catching fly balls and he he throws like he his right arm's disabled. So um, he has he has almost no value as a two way player. He's like zero. Like his value is strictly related to his on base percentage and his ability to slug. So half the league is a complete non factor on him. Let's not overvalue that. And I know we don't want to lose him, um, but let's not overvalue what it's going to take to keep him. Um, because I, again, half the league has no interest in him or shouldn't have, I mean, maybe there's a team that's just fucking stupid, but they shouldn't have an interest in him. Um, you know, and I also do, and I truly believe this. I think JD Martinez likes Boston. I think he embraced the city and I think he embraced, uh, what it means to, uh, to play productively in the face of, the, the Boston market and I and we've told the story before so I'm not going to tell it in any depth but we are all aware that when he signed price said get ready for this market and his response was you know not negative it wasn't catering to David price it was I'm excited I want to be in this market and I'm, I'm hopeful that that gives us uh, at least a flip of a coin chance to buy out some of these opt-outs and buy them out at you know at current at the current term or add one year yeah you're at one year i'm at two years so i mean we're, we're a little off but i to me the scary thing is not signing him or mookie you know and so that's oh, totally great totally agree and that's why i think that you may have to overpay a little bit for jd and that's why i would do it that's the point i was making um, here's another dynamic, though. To you and I, it makes perfect sense to not pursue Mookie. We've covered that for the last 15 minutes or so. But I'm not convinced that the Red Sox share that mindset. And here's an example. Um, Dave Dombrowski signed Miguel Cabrera to 
what's looking like maybe next to the pool hole signing one of the most painful contracts of all time that's that was like an eight year maybe even a nine or ten year deal with added on to the money he was already owed brought it up to like 292 million he also signed prince fielder to a long-term deal that the texas rangers are still paying somehow he managed to flip him to texas got ian kinsler out of it which must have been magic because i can't believe you know I, I can't believe texas allowed that to happen but but he signed some pretty stupid contracts fairly recently so and mookie whether we like it or not i mean 75 percent of the fan base might listen to this episode or if they listen to it would call us the most dumbest, irrational guys to ever consider moving on from Mookie Betts. So that's a lot for a GM to to be the guy who didn't sign him. You know what I mean? So I just, I hope they share our mindset or I, I hope that they're at least open-minded to outside-the-box type scenarios. But I just... Terry, can I have a conversation with the Boston Red Sox fan that hates us right now for agreeing that Mookie Betts isn't going to be a Red Sox? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, sure. Dear Boston Red Sox fan, I'm going to assume that you're a fan of the New England Patriots. And one of the reasons why you love the New England Patriots is their ability to field a competitor year in and year out. And one of the reasons why they can field a competitor year in and year out is because they don't overpay for Randy Moss, who wasn't happy at $7 million. When he demanded $10 million, they said no, and we'll trade you, and we'll get assets back. When Jamie Collins became too expensive, we'll trade him to the Cleveland Browns, we'll get a left tackle and a defensive end out of it. When certain players become too expensive, we move on from them. Logan Mankins. I could go on and fuck Dion Branch, uh, uh, Wes Welker, uh, Seymour. I mean, I, I literally just go on and on and on. You love that about your Boston Reds, uh, about your New England Patriots. You, it's like a, it's like a badge of honor. For, and I'm a Patriots fan. I'm a diehard Patriots fan. My dad was a season ticket holder. I, I and I, even though I live in Florida, I still see the uh, at least three Patriots games in person a year. I love it about them. I love that they're fiscally responsible. I love that they're not thinking about just this year. I love that they can build a winner and build a winner for two or three years out. And in the and I mean miraculously, it's been like 19 years now. You can't be. You have to take your love of the Patriots and why you love them and why you respect the way they run their operation, and you have to apply it to this situation. You can't be competitive year in and year out if you are paying one eighth of your available payroll to one player. You just can't. Now, I understand Mookie Betts is transcendental. Again, I just combined two good words into one non-word. But he's a transcendent player. That's a good word. I get it. He's maybe going to be the best player of this 25, 30-year block period period of time. I get it. But do you want to have the best player in the league, or do you want to win year in and year out? Because if you want to win year in and year out – Mookie's got to go, and I'm sorry to say it because I was upset when Dion Branch left after uh, after they won that Super Bowl against the Panthers, and I was more and I was upset when Seymour left. But guess what? 
They were able to remain fiscally responsible, build balanced rosters, and win additional Super Bowls. Go to eight. Go to eight straight AFC championship games. We're on the verge of uh, potentially going to another Super Bowl, Brady's ninth Super Bowl on Sunday. You want that for the Boston Red Sox? I know you do. See, Look at it that way, and I think we're going to get more people to understand that Mookie Betts can't be here unless he's going to take a really – hometown discount and it's not going to happen because he's already turned that down i agree and uh i i don't know if that's a demographic we can ever really you know get you know to resonate with our logic but um i'll tell you what though i might be the one percent of red sox fans that'll enjoy this but like the cry fest that would happen you know when that headline comes across the you know, the Twitter screen or, you know, MLB trade rumors, wherever anyone goes for their news, you know, Mookie Betts signs with the Dodgers for whatever, and then Red Sox fans just freaking out. I don't know why I get enjoyment out of stuff like that, but... I I don't either, and I, I, you know, (laughs) I don't want to get into, like, the type of fan you are versus the type of fan I am, but I'm at a complete loss for words that that, that would create enjoyment for you. (laughs) I would laugh so hard. (laughs) I would feel like we dodged the biggest bullet ever, and, you know, it would be great. All right, we're, like, way past where we should be. Just I just want to touch on this Machado thing real quick, or Harper thing. Um, Harper had a meeting with the Philadelphia Phillies last Saturday. A lot of buzz from the meeting. Apparently, you know, there's been all these headlines. Harper's the front runner, you know, for the (laughs) Phillies, blah, blah, blah. I'm not buying it. Here's why. Joe Jordan is the farm director for the Phillies. He drafted Manny Machado third overall in 2010 for the Orioles. Current Phillies president, Andy McPhail, was the Orioles' GM back then. His general manager right now, Matt Klentak, was McPhail's top assistant. Ned Rice, who is now uh, McPhail's top assistant, also came from Baltimore. This is basically the 2010 Baltimore front office in Philadelphia, and any talk of them possibly signing Harper, I think, is just them putting the metaphorical gun to Machado's head saying, hey, buddy, you better sign now. You know, this is probably going to be the best deal you're offered. And if you don't take it, we're, we might sign Harper. But I still think Manny Machado is their guy is, is what I'm getting at. I don't disagree. Um the only thing I'll say is I think there's going to be a team that jumps in late, um, which often happens with these superstars. I don't know exactly what team it'll be, um, and it may not happen. Um, and I've speculated what, you know, in a, in a fashion that, based on the information available today, seems wrong. Um, but I, why haven't they signed? Why haven't they signed? And the and my answer to that is because I think they're waiting for something that may or may not be coming. Um, so 
I mean, that's kind of where I'm at with the situation. I think we've talked on this so long and I've, I've really come out and said a whole bunch of stuff about this. And if you're a regular, listen to the podcast, I don't want to bore you with saying the same thing over and over again, but I just think that there's going to be a team that jumps in late. And, and I think there's a team that's sitting in the weeds and I think the, the, the players know that there's a team sitting out there. I don't know who the team is. Um, but I think they're waiting to, use the leverage of spring training starting as a final push to get every single dollar bill out of whatever contract is coming, whether it be from the Phillies, whether it be from the White Sox or whatever team that we, we currently aren't, you know, necessarily privy to. Yeah. And just a couple off the top of my head. I mean, the Cardinals, I mean, they were connected to Stanton and they seem to always be in the conversation for some of the big, free agent so maybe that's one the Padres are at least a year or two from competing but they got the best farm system in Major League Baseball and it seems like they're they're looking to start adding people so that's potentially a landing spot and I forget where I heard it today but someone was trying to make a case for the Houston Astros signing Bryce Harper so that would be interesting, but um, no, nothing really has come out that's really connected them. So, but those those would be the top mystery teams, I, I would guess. Yeah, I mean, for me, the mystery team is going to be a team that doesn't have the farm system to build. And so, you know, if you don't have the farm system, what's the only way to build now? It's dollar bills. The Padres, to me, just seem to be a team that should wait and follow the Astros' approach, and wait for those assets to mature, um, and then you can you can you can have winning seasons without having high-end uh, rosters. And now they're finding out what it's like for all that talent to kind of graduate, and they can't afford all of it. So, uh, you know, for example, the Keiko will probably go elsewhere because uh, you know they've kind of priced themselves out at certain at certain uh, roster spots. If you're a team that's real thin, uh, you may be a player away. You may have an offensive situation where where you're just missing some slugging and you don't have the assets to go out and improve otherwise. That's the team that may say, you know what, fuck this. Let's spend some money and get that player we think will get us into the playoffs. So, um, And I, I think you're kind of – you're in – you know, I don't disagree with the teams you've mentioned. I also don't rule out other teams, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to do an itemized list. Yeah, and I mean, both of those teams have the the financial means to do it, given that their payroll, well, the Padres' payroll is down. Uh, I'm not sure where St. Louis stands, but I, I think they probably could add at least one player. Atlanta was another one that, that came to my mind late there that could potentially add, but... Uh, but anyway, we'll leave that, uh, you know, for now. And uh, maybe, I don't know if we'll do anything this weekend, uh, but uh, maybe, you know, worst case scenario, um, middle of next week we'll record the next one. And maybe, just maybe a domino or two will fall and we'll kind of have an idea of how the rest of the hot stove season will play out. So, Well, we're inside a month. Um to that weekend where we play Boston College and, and Northeastern. Um, um, so things are going to have to happen in the next four weeks. They just have to, and at which team, at which point you're, you know, you're risking not having a club at the start of, of spring training. Um, 
And I, I would I would think that at that point um, we'll be talking about various issues with players finally signing, and then you know once we get into camp, you know injuries, player position battles, and we should really ramp up and and start to have a lot more substantive discussions about the 2019 campaign. So really looking forward to it. I I'm, it's so close. I, I can honestly. Um, I just honestly cannot wait, and um, hopefully we have a team that's competitive, and I think we do. Absolutely, and uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll just end it on that note. So, uh, thanks uh, for coming on, and uh, we'll uh, be in touch as the you know developments unfold. Thanks, Terrence. Have a good night, man. All right, another episode down, which means we are one more, one less episode before uh, spring training. So slowly but surely headed towards uh, the next season. And I keep I keep telling myself that, you know, we have it a little bit better because we got an extra month of baseball that no other team got. So their, their baseball fever and all the other markets – must be pretty uh, intense right now compared to ours. So on that note, everybody have a good Friday, Saturday, whenever you listen to this and uh, enjoy the AFC, NFC championships this weekend if you uh, plan on watching them. And we'll be back next week. Take care. Yeah.